Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. You know, have you ever studied Jesus and the Canaanite woman? It's kind of a disturbing story because Jesus encounters uh, a Gentile. And uh, we're going to talk about that encounter because it doesn't sound a lot like the Jesus we know. We're going to explore that today with Pastor Brent Kuhlman. He's the senior pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. Hello, Brent. How are you? Well, great to be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you as well. And I have to say, this passage out of Matthew fifteen twenty-one to 28 is not an easy one to, uh, to understand right away. Well, I find it quite delicious as a pastor because I love to preach from this text and teach from it. So Let's get I, at it. I think our, our listeners will be delightfully surprised Good. and edified. <laughs> Good. Now, how do we start? Do you want me to read it? Yeah, let's, let's take a look at the text. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, starting in verse uh, 21, I'm in Matthew chapter 15. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was only I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Isn't that just delicious? It is just so delicious. That's the only time I use that word is when you're on. Well, you know, here you have, he encounters a woman who's not an Israelite. Um, She's from the region of Tyre and Sidon along the Mediterranean coast. This is pagan land. Yes. And what's interesting is this woman uh, is a believer. Now, let's just, but before I say that, let's back this up a little bit. Um, Canaanites, of course, they were the people that the Israelites were supposed to purge out of the promised land under Joshua. Let's keep that in mind. So right. This is the region from which she's from. And the Israelites, of course, they, they hated the Canaanites. And there was a lot of animosity between the Israelites and Canaanites. And it was mutual. It was vice versa. And what was interesting is that the Israelites called the Canaanites dogs. Mm. Um, and I would say filthy dogs, if you will, if you really wanted to make your point. Mm-hmm. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what the Canaanites called the Israelites. Nonetheless, she hears that Jesus is in town. <laughs> and no doubt she's heard all the reports about this Jesus, about his power to heal, um, maybe cast out demons, etc., because her, her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, the text says. So she goes after Jesus, and she speaks to him. This, again, a woman, a Canaanite woman. She speaks to him like she's an Israelite. Did you catch that? It's verse, um, looking at the text, or 22. 
first of all, she knows why Jesus is there. Why, in other words, why the eternal word took on flesh. Have mercy on me. This is a constant refrain in the Bible of people who are believers. And you hear this all the way through Matthew's gospel. Like, for example, um, Matthew records two episodes of Jesus healing two blind men. And they say, have mercy on us. So they know why Jesus has come, which also keeps, keeps uh, in mind Matthew 1. You know, you will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Mm-hmm. So she knows why he's here, to have mercy on sinners. <laughs> and then she knows who he is, oh, Lord. Uh, yeah. Uh, this isn't just sir or mister. She knows that this preacher named Jesus is the eternal Son of God who's taken on flesh, and he's the Savior. Then, again, when I said earlier that she speaks to him as if she's an Israelite, well, check it out. Son of David. Now, if you know your Old Testament, and a lot of people don't anymore, but she obviously does. Mm -hmm. Because this most likely is a reference to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Where you remember when David told the Lord, you know, I'll build a house for you. And God says, no, I'll build you a house. But the Lord didn't mean a physical building. He meant a dynasty in which a son would be born from the flesh of David, and he would be the savior of the world. That's 2 Samuel 7. It's one of the most important prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. who would be a descendant of da-da-da, King David. And she knows that he's it. Oh, this is fantastic. Pastor Brent Kuhlman is my guest. We're talking about this wonderful passage in Matthew 15, 21 through 28, Jesus and the Canaanite woman. And if you're not familiar with it, you want to get your Bible out because Brent's going to take us through this. And it's just so amazing that instead of helping her, Jesus at first ignores her and lets her know he did not come to be the Messiah for people like her. Well, that's that's the stumbling block for us. I mean, if we were the if we were this this Syrophoenician woman, mm-hmm. this Canaanite woman, a believer, a faither, a truster in the Lord Jesus Christ, we she knows what he's there for to have mercy. She knows he's the Lord, and she knows she's the he's the promise of the fulfillment of Second Samuel seven. Now, you would think immediately that Jesus would say, "Yes, honey, what how, what can I do for you?" Yeah. You know, when, 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 but instead, the text says he didn't answer her a word. I word, don't get that. Okay, so she prays. If you're a faither, you pray, and that's what she does. Okay. She prays to God. And this, this, is, this is what Jesus does a lot, not only with her, but with us. We ask God for help, and sometimes he doesn't answer us at first. Now, let's just get to the heart of this real quickly, and if we want, we can come back to it later. Why does God do this sometimes? Well, as we're going to learn in this story, he's going he's to stretch her faith muscles all the more, or, or and, he's going to use this woman as an example for all of us. Don't give up. Remember he told a parable about that, that persistent widow? Remember that? Yes. Okay? So don't ever get up, give up. But so he, he tests her faith by not answering her a word. Will <laughs> she really believe in me if I don't talk back? Wow. Now, if I was this woman, and Jesus gives me this stony silence— I'd uh, I'd say, well, no thanks, buddy. I'm gone. See ya. Bye. Right? Yeah. But she doesn't. She doesn't. She sticks with it. Um, notice in verse 23, the disciples get involved, and uh, they beg Jesus, and they say, get rid of her. Yeah. Because she's crying after us. Now, maybe implied, you know, the Lord's too busy for a woman like you. You're not even an Israelite. Or... 
um, maybe there's something else going on. Maybe they're asking Jesus, why don't you hurry up and help her so we can get rid of her? Not quite clear. But still, he says, <laughs> I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So this is a second blow, because he's, he's flat out telling her, hey, honey, you're not an Israelite. I've come only for the children of Israel, and you're not one. Now, can you trust a Jesus like that, folks? And if I'm this woman, I'm probably, uh, oh, my goodness, I would have turned my back on him. Uh, I would have probably shot Jesus some kind of, uh, <laughs> well, an obscene gesture, sure. maybe two fingers up in the air. You Ooh. know what I'm trying to say? I don't know about that. It's <laughs> a little harsh. Well, seriously. This is this is just outrageous. Can you? I'm gonna I'm gonna ask it again. Can you trust a Jesus who, at first, when you ask him for help, doesn't say anything, and then when he finally speaks up, it's like a slam. I I'm not here for you, honey. Oh, I'm yeah. only here for the Israelites. Yeah, I uh, trust me, Brent. This is a difficult uh, scenario that you've described, and that. Jesus not only gives silence, but then sort of disses her and says, I didn't come for you. And I think everyone listening, uh, including me, have prayed and encountered the silence of God. And And sometimes God God appears to not be the God that he promises to be. And so he's testing her to see if she can trust him as he promises in the Bible. Yes. And and Brent, we all know about the amount of hostility and hatred that people have towards Jesus in the culture today. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So, um, yeah, all right. Well, it it doesn't get any harsher than this, does it? No, it doesn't. You know, so um, she, but here's the the fascinating thing. This is why I think this is so delicious. After not saying a word to her, and after saying, I'm not, I'm not here for you. Look at verse 25. Does she leave? Negatory. No. She actually comes closer, if you will, and kneels before him and says again, Lord, help me. So now she prays for the second time. That's why this is so delicious. She doesn't give up. She trusts a Jesus who at first doesn't respond to her prayer and then says, I haven't come for you. Let's learn from her, folks. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Jesus does this with us, too. Yeah. Okay? And, and Brent, uh, think of the posture she takes on. The woman came and knelt before him after getting that treatment. So, so again, she knows who he is. Of course. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Son of God, who, has, who, who in the Old Testament is promised to have mercy and save us. So you see, she trusts this word of God from the Old Testament of the coming Savior. And when he arrives, she continues to trust it, even when he acts in opposition to the promise. <laughs> it's kind of like, you remember in Genesis, when God told I, uh, Abraham, go, go take your son Isaac, your only son, your, your beloved son, and you sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Now, you know, it's like, who, what, really? Are you kidding me? Well, then how in the world will the Savior come? Now, this is a huge crisis. But Abraham trusts the Lord. And as you know the rest of the story, of course, but I don't want to get too far afield here. But, you know, Abraham, he trusted the Lord and his promise that from his body, Abraham's as good as dead body, <laughs> a, a descendant would be born, and he would be the Savior. But, you know, in Genesis, it appears that God is going to go back on his promise. So similarly here, 
she continues to trust. Now, here's another huge blow after she says, Lord, help me, for the second time. Verse 26, he speaks again. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. All right, Brent, I think we're going to have to process that on the other side of the break, because that's a tough one to, to read as well. Now, I know that in all of this, Jesus has put a stumbling block in the way of this Canaanite woman. And I know there's listeners today that have what they consider a stumbling block in their faith journey right now. So let's figure out how to get that stumbling block removed. And let's see if we can understand what he means when he said it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Pastor Brent Kuhlman is my guest. He's the senior pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. We'll be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. I'm having some wonderful teaching time with Pastor Brent Kuhlman, Senior Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. We're talking about Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28, the faith of a Canaanite woman. And right before uh, we went to break, Brent. We were talking about verse 26. Jesus replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. You remember before the break, I mentioned that the Israelites called the Canaanites dogs. Right. And so he calls her that. And yes. there's no doubt that she heard that slur everywhere she went when she encountered Jews in her day. You know, there's that dog. Mm-hmm. A, this it really is. It's a slur. Um And so this is a huge stumbling block. You mentioned this before the break. I mean, at this point, this is the third time, you know, it's as if she's not getting what she wants. You know, faith asks for something, and she's not getting it. Uh, But then she responds, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This, This is the faith talk. Jesus calls her a Canaanite dog. And it's, and it's as if, you know, you don't deserve the promise of the Savior. But she knows her Old Testament. She knows that in the Old Testament, the promise of salvation was not just for the children of Israel, but it was for all people. And so when Jesus appears to go against that promise, she says, oh, no, wait a minute. I am a dog, just like you say. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table, which means the promise of salvation is for me, too. Do you catch that? That's what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Call me a dog, I am. I'm a Canaanite. Mm-hmm. But salvation isn't just for the Israelites. It's also for me, a Gentile. And that's when Jesus explodes and says, and I mean joyfully explodes, <laughs> and says, woman, great is your faith. He praises her. I mean, he, he absolutely loves this. What she said to him is music <laughs> To his ears, you know? Yeah, even the dogs eat the crumbs. That's music to his ears. And so no longer does he call her a dog. Did you notice this? Yeah, he shifts to woman. Right. And great is your faith. Yeah. So he addresses her with dignity now. Um, and I would, I would venture to say respect when he says, oh, woman. And, of course, as the text says, he commends her faith. And he does it 
Let's not forget, he does this within earshot of who? His disciples, who, as you, you, know, you study the, the New Testament, they don't yet understand this very much. You know, they struggle with this. They think they're the, the big shots hanging around with Jesus. And so many times in the New Testament, the disciples, they don't get it, who this Jesus is and what he's for. But she does. And I think that's precisely why he uses her as an object lesson for the sake of his disciples and all of us sometimes when we struggle with who this Jesus is and can we trust him. And this woman's faith, uh, Bill, I mean, she clings to Jesus. And I'm going to repeat this. This is huge. She, her faith clings to Jesus, even when it appears that he turns his back on her. And that's what we need to learn as well. We appears. need to trust Jesus, even when it appears that he's yes. turned his back on us. Even our faith clings to him, even when he looks all of us in the eye and he says, I didn't come for you. Hmm. We still cling to him. Hmm. Because see, Satan wants to not have us cling to Jesus. So faith clings to Jesus, even when he calls us a dog, if you will. I'm not, I'm not a Jew. I don't have Jewish heritage. I'm a Gentile. Right. Okay. So Luther taught this very well at the time of the Lutheran Reformation. This is one of his big things he taught from this uh, biblical story uh, that faith hears God's yes hidden in a no, <laughs> and faith trusts it. Well, I like that. So I'm going to repeat that because it's a paradox. Yeah, it, it is. So the next time you read the Bible and you see these stories, and this one in particular, Dr. Luther taught that faith in Jesus Christ will hear God's yes, even when it appears to be a no. Mm, okay. And God God is testing us, strengthening our faith, etc. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Pastor Brent Kuhlman is my guest. He's a senior pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. And Brent, one of the things that I read, and because Jesus is without sin and he's nothing but love, help me to better understand how he uses what sounds like or appears to be a racial slur to this woman calling her a dog. Again, it's testing, testing her faith. Can you trust me even when I say I'm not for you? And I, I act like a normal, ordinary Israelite. Okay. And she does. But she, she, she knows she, better. She knows the yes hidden behind the no. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's now helpful. Let's, let's just briefly, before we quit today, we've talked a lot about her faith. But let's, let's re- review once again how the Bible teaches faith. Faith always looks outward. It doesn't look, look inward. So my point is, is that her faith is not in her faith. Her faith is in Jesus, okay? See the distinction? Mm-hmm. So sometimes if I go to the hospital, I make a hospital call, and I ask the person, how are you doing? The person says, I'm doing good. How do you know that? Because I've got my faith. And I say, what, what, describe that. What do you mean? Well, I've got faith. And they never say faith in Jesus. Mm. You understand? This is, this is a huge point. Yeah, because so, I don't have faith in faith. Yeah, well, to finish this story, you know, Jesus says, let it be done for you as you desire, mm-hmm. you know? And so there you have it. There you have it. There he is. He's for her. He is for her, after all, even though she's a Canaanite. And yet through faith, see, as the Bible teaches, through faith in Jesus, she's a daughter of who? Abraham, as Paul teaches very clearly in his epistle to the Romans. So this Jesus, who's the son of David, he's son of David, savior for her, 
<laughs> and for you, and his word is solid and certain, and as the text says, her daughter was healed instantly. Mm-hmm. Now, let's keep in mind that some daughters aren't. Some of us have had daughters who haven't been healed, and that includes sons as well, right? Yeah, right. Because sometimes our daughter or son gets sick, and we pray, and we ask God to help, and they, they're not healed instantly. Okay? So what do we do with this? Well, he's dealing with this particular woman, and that's what happened with her. But nonetheless, we have crosses to bear, don't we? Yes, we do. Okay? And so we need to learn that, for example, when, when maybe a son or daughter of ours is sick and ill and maybe on the verge of death, and we pray and we ask Jesus to use the doctors and the medicines and the procedures to heal, and that son or daughter dies, we know that that prayer will be answered. And when, when will that prayer be answered? You know that, don't you? Mm-hmm. On Resurrection Day. Yes. When our bodies will be raised from the dead, and they will be perfectly healed. No sin, no illnesses, no death mm-hmm. ever again. Yeah, and Brent, I remember Jesus specifically praying the prayer, let this cup pass from me, but he did not receive it as, re- as he requested it. Yeah, and it was always, but not my will, your will. Be exactly. Done. Yeah. Exactly. And that's how we pray as well, which I'm glad you brought that up. That's absolutely a huge point. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I would imagine there's some eggshells there, uh, because this is the passage that can be used to say to people that if you just had enough faith, you'd get the answers you'd want for the prayers you've prayed. Well, sometimes God does answer our prayers for healing, yeah. like for a son and daughter, and he uses the doctors and the nurses and the specialists and the medicines to heal. But even even after a healing, eventually the person's going to die one of the one of these days right mm-hmm. and so all prayer for healing complete and total healing is is in the resurrection of the body on the last day and that that's all made possible because of our lord's resurrection mm-hmm. of course mm-hmm. well brent it's such an interesting passage and i i really enjoy uh, you walking us through this and i, I even find it interesting uh, right in the beginning, the discussion of the nationality, because I don't think that they had used the word Canaanites for quite a while. I mean, it was just one of those old words that kept getting used that everybody knew was derogatory. Right. And and all that went on in the Old Testament. Right. Because right. part of the, the larger context, of course, the Canaanites led Israel into great sin. Yes. Yes. And led them and which led to their exile. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my brother, thank you so much for taking time with us today. This has been a fascinating study, and I, like you, you do call it delicious, and it is indeed that. I'm going to go back and study it some more. Thanks, Bill. You All bet. The best. You bet. Dr. Brent, I'm sorry, Pastor Brent Kuhlman has been my guest. He is the senior pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Murdoch, Nebraska. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about foster care. It's going to be a fascinating discussion with uh, Casey and Naomi. Be right back. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Hey! 
So we'll plan an event where we can bring this kid for a couple hours to interact with horses. And our whole goal is to help them to feel comfortable and seen and celebrated as we get to know them, interview them, get to know their heart, what they believe, what their Mm -hmm. dreams are. We want to let them dream and just feel comfortable in that space. Mm -hmm. And so out of that interview, out of that interaction, then we create this beautiful two, three minute profile video of them that we get to post and share Mm -hmm. around the, around the state. So let's say uh, there are listeners right now that are saying, you know, this is God answering a prayer for me. I want to go to this website because I can look at profiles of Mm -hmm. kids that I can learn more about. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would that be like? Yeah. So if you go on therealhopeproject.org, there are probably around 100 videos right now of kids here in Minnesota and also in the state of Wyoming who are waiting for forever families. So they're these little two-minute profile videos. You can see Naomi in the background of some of them as she's interacting with, with those kids. And then the other part of Naomi's job, do you want to talk a little bit about connecting with churches? Yeah. So and that's the other piece is we're trying to get these videos out to as many, you know, people as possible, but our heart is for the church, right? We want Mm -hmm. to see this vision of the church stepping up and addressing this issue. And so we want to get into churches. We want to get in front. We want these kids to get in front of people of God so they can, you know, have an opportunity to see, is God calling you to this? Is he calling you to step up in some way, whether that be into adoption or foster care or supporting families that are doing that already? Mm -hmm. So my goal is to connect with churches and pastors as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Casey Stanley and Naomi Turlau are my guests, and they're at the Real Hope project.org. So Casey, maybe you would give me a little a picture of what the typical uh, child that is on these videos, mm-hmm. what would that child, what would the history of that child be like? Yeah. Yeah. So the average age that kids go into foster care is eight. So almost all of our videos are of kids who are eight and older, typically kids who are under the age of five or six or seven. Generally speaking, those kids get matched with families a little bit easier. Um, once kids turn eight, nine, 10, and then especially once they're teenagers, that's when it becomes a little bit harder to find adoptive families. And so most of, I think, I think our stat is that 95% of our videos are for kids who are six and older. Okay. Um, and how did they end up in foster care? Yeah, so the number one reason that kids are put into foster care is um, parental drug use okay. um, and the abuse and neglect that come from from those cases. And so they any kid in foster care, you don't get into foster care unless things have been pretty bad. Wow. And then even once you're in foster care, your parents have um, at least... Um, a good window of time. It kind of varies based, based on the case. Um, but parents are given a window to do what they need to do to hopefully bring their kids back home. We only make videos for kids who can't go back home. Mm. So these are kids who have been in foster care long enough that parental rights have been terminated. Really? Um, and so you can be you can be pretty assured that, that things have been tough. Wow. Mm. So, and Casey, you've personally, you and your husband have adopted Two children. One. One, one, ch- yes. one child. Okay. We have one adopted and two homemade. <laughs> so and two what? Homemade. <laughs> oh, homemade. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> I don't, I don't I, want to explain I, it to you, Bill. This, this, this Bill guy ain't that bright. Can you... <laughs> I have to look that up on the internet. You know. Yeah, right. Do not Google it. Yeah, okay. That's uh, embarrassing. I embarrass myself often. We all do. We all thank do. you so much. But you sang my theme song, so that's I all know. I care yes, about. Yeah. Yes. Come on. Yeah. So uh, how often or how long would someone be uh, uh, waiting to be adopted by a family? What's the wait time? for kids? It varies widely. So if you imagine, we've tried to track down, we would love to be able to know 
how long a wait is with a kid who has a reel from the Real Hope Project versus kids who don't. Yeah. But there's there's no way to compare apples to apples. And so if you think of like a two-year-old healthy little girl, uh, there's going to be families lining up around the block in most cases. Um, a 17-year-old boy with a rough history is going to take a lot longer to find a family in general. So there really isn't a, I wish there was a clear stat on here's how long kids wait, but there really isn't. Mm-hmm. So if I'm interested in the realhopeproject.org, and I am, I watched your video, it's great. Um, I also want to know how do I best prepare? What questions do I get ready to ask you? Because let's just say I'm interested in adoption, a a foster child. So one of the things that's unique about Real Hope is that we're actually not an adoption agency. So what we do is we make these videos of the kids and then we get them out there as much awesome. as we can. And then we connect people to the to the adoption agencies. Oh, so cool. we're not doing home studies. We're not doing trainings. Uh, we're just really a funnel connecting people uh, to the agencies. Yes. Yes, yes exactly. And you want to see kids flourish. Yes. 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 Yeah. Exactly. And so the families then who connect with us, um, there's really two uh, routes that they can take. So a family, let's see, a family sees little Johnny and they say, man, we just fell in love with little Johnny's reel from the Real Hope Project. We would love to learn more about him. Our first question is, have you gone through the trainings? Are you licensed already? Because you have to go through a licensing process to be able to adopt. If they have already gone through the licensing, then great. We connect their social worker to Johnny's social worker and they're off to the races. Nice. If they haven't gone through the trainings, then we say, okay, no problem. Here are the agencies that you can through which you can get some training and begin the licensing process. And we just connect them to run from there. Mm-hmm. Casey Stanley and Naomi Turlau are my guests at therealhopeproject.org. So Casey, I know you did an adoption. Mm-hmm. Uh, how old was your son when you adopted him? Yes. So we actually met our son through the Real Hope Project. <laughs> so we made his video back in 2018. Really? Yes. Yeah. He's the coolest. We met him when he was 12. We did his video shoot and had gone through the licensing. We were we were ready to adopt and we were kind of just waiting for God to highlight who that kid was going to be and met our son on his video shoot and just like fell in love with him. He's wow. the coolest kid you'll ever meet and kind of knew. I we came home from the shoot and I told my husband like I think I found him (laughs) I think we got him and so we got to go through the through the process and we were officially matched with him and he moved home um February of 2019 and we finalized his adoption when he was 13 so he's he's 16 now he'll be 17 in the fall working on getting his license right now so my life is scary (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and uh Naomi you must know him Yes. Well, yeah. I've met him. Yes, of I've course. met him a handful yes. of times. Yeah. Really cool kid. Yeah. Um, and he, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, Casey had your dis- you and your husband's decision. Was it made in advance? Were you saying yes? We want to adopt a foster child. Yes, we knew we- that adoption from foster care was something we wanted gotcha. to do. Okay. Yeah. And do you feel like that's a calling? I do. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I do feel like it's something. I think caring for vulnerable kids is something that every follower of Jesus is called to. Amen. Um, across the board. Amen. I also think like when you're adopting from foster care, you really want to connect with Jesus about it and make sure that like oh. you are you are stepping in right. in the timing that He has for you with the kid that He has for you. Like it's yeah. just a very prayerful, yeah. for sure, a prayerful decision. What have been the responses from churches? Is that a Naomi question? I mean, I think at this point, it's we really have had a lot of opportunities to share in front of churches. Um, I think 
once we get in the door, you know, I think it's hard because churches have a lot on their plates and a lot of ministries Mm -hmm. vying for their time. But once we are able to meet with them and really share the heart of who we are and that this is a biblical calling and that piece hits home, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, yeah, why aren't we doing this? Like, why why not? And so I think we've had a really positive um, response from churches who have just been letting us come. We speak for what, 10 minutes we ask for mm-hmm. tops just to share this, to, to get it out there and mm-hmm. go from there. Do you show a little video on that time? Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Oh, I bet you do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And you can't, you can't not fall in love with these kids once you see them captured on film and see their mm-hmm. sweet little laughs and smiles and weird little personalities. It's like you, you fall in love. And so it makes our speaking job at churches really easy oh, because yeah. we just get to say, here's Well, cool I think kids. what's also really nice too is that it helps um, families who maybe have thought about this but don't know how to start the process, mm-hmm. it gives them a, a way to start it, right? Because mm-hmm. it can be overwhelming. The system's really overwhelming. So it's like, okay, one step at a time, contact us. We will get you going. We'll get you pointed in the right direction. That mm-hmm. really encourages people to. Fantastic. Uh, Casey Stanley and Naomi Turlow are my guests. You can go learn about their amazing project at therealhopeproject.org. And I'm spelling real, R-E-E-L, mm-hmm. uh, the real hopeproject.org. We'll take a break and be right back. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. Here's a question. How do we change the narrative around foster care adoption? And maybe even within the faith communities, I've got two ladies here that can sort this out for me in a fantastic way. Hmm. Casey Stanley and Naomi Turlau are my guests. They are from therealhopeproject.org, and I highly recommend you go to therealhopeproject.org. Check out the video. Uh, It's amazing. Really good. All right, let's talk about some of the more difficult uh, things associated with possibly um, a foster child who could mm-hmm. come from a very troubled background. Yeah. And now they're they're trying to assimilate into a new family and they've already lived a bunch of life. They've had some hard knocks and yeah. maybe some anger, rebellion. Uh, what else? Yeah. Yeah. So kids who are waiting to be adopted from foster care, any kid in foster care has been through hard things. Kids who are waiting to be adopted out of foster care, that means they've already been in foster care for a few years. And so um, you don't get into foster care without some trauma. And um, so there is not a kid in the system who hasn't been through trauma and that can manifest in all kinds of ways. That's part of the reason that we are um, so passionate about uh, inviting families of faith into adoption from foster care because... um, we believe that we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And we believe that we that we were adopted even in the midst of our own trauma and our own challenges and our own issues that God said that we were worth it and um, came after us no matter what it took. And so I think that the gospel is such a beautiful blueprint uh, for what adoption should look like. Mm-hmm. And since Roe v. Wade's been overturned, I know there is a lot of emotion mm-hmm. uh, from a side that says, well, who's going to care for all the children that mm-hmm. will be born? Yeah. And, and what about some of the kids that like are in foster care right now. Yeah. How is the uh, Christian community stepping up? Yes. I love that question. There is such a a myth out there. I wrote it earlier today. (laughs) You did great. You're doing good work. And when I mean earlier today, I wrote it eight (laughs) seconds ago. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. There is such a misconception or just a, a really, um, I would say, baseless accusation against the church that the church only cares about kids when they're in the womb, yeah. which is just not true. There are 3,000 crisis pregnancy centers across the United States, almost all of them started by Christians and churches. Christian people make up for 80% of adoptions from foster care. Uh, wow. the, it's like insane. Staggering number. Yes. Yeah. Yes. An insane number. And on top of that, it really is not babies that end up um, sort of lingering in foster care. The babies, um, there's a there's a long, long line of people who are waiting to adopt babies, which is a beautiful thing. Uh, but the kids who are being pointed to in foster care kind of saying like, well, that's where they're going to end up. That's actually not the case. There are there are hundreds of thousands of families who are waiting to adopt babies right now. Um, it's the older kids that end up oftentimes getting kind of stuck in the system. Mm-hmm. And would you say that there's an ideal family uh, size or demographic that would be a perfect candidate for a foster? I mean, is it a family of six kids already? They're adding in a seventh. Yeah, that's a good question. When I you're wrote that d- one six seconds ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get faster. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm on my toes today. <laughs> There's really not like an ideal family. I think it's fun. We get to read the profiles of different kids before shoots. And um, sometimes their social workers will say this kid um, would really do well in a family where they're the youngest. Like they would do well with uh, with some older siblings who could kind of help guide them. Or this kid really needs to be the only kid in the home. They just they need all the focus and all the attention. Um, The social workers really get to know these kids well. And they're looking for kind of a, a wide variety of families to connect them with. I'm thinking right now of my friend uh, Marcus and Michelle Bachman, who have uh, fostered, I think, 23 kids. Wow. Yeah, in their, in their life. I think they yeah. have five or six of their own, and then they have always had kids in their house, and they've you know had them through those formative years, through oh, wow. high school. There's always a boatload of people at the house. That's yes. amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, yes. and they, they think it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. There's such a huge need, and, and good foster homes are really 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 needed our son was in i think four foster homes before he came home and every single one was awesome they loved him and they loved jesus and he experienced so much healing through those homes that Mm -hmm. now we reap the benefits of like the good and hard work that those families that those families did so yeah we cannot overstate the importance of foster care Mm -hmm. and then when they become of age and then what what happens they become 18 they graduate from high school um, hopefully. Well, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wasn't, I didn't graduate from high school until I was 20 something, but that doesn't matter. That's, <laughs> this is not about me. Sure. Sure. No. Let's talk about this. But no, 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 no. We don't have time happened. for that. We don't have time for that. But let's say they graduate from high school. Yeah. And then what happens? Um, nothing good. When kids age out of foster care without being adopted into a, into a family, the okay. stats are pretty devastating. So it's estimated that up to 80% of people in our prison systems in the United States were once in foster care or connected to the child wow. welfare system. Wow. It's really bad. 80% of women who are sex trafficked in the United States all have one thing in common. They're once in foster care. 20% of kids who age out of foster care without being adopted become immediately homeless the day after they turn 18. Well, does the family just say, see ya? And then all of a sudden this child is homeless? That doesn't seem productive. Sometimes. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's kids who are in group homes. Um, there aren't enough foster homes. So there's okay. a lot of kids who are living in group homes. And if you think back to like, like when I was 18, uh, for most kids, when they turn 18, 
they kind of have the choice. Do you want to stay in this group home where there's rules and curfews and schedules and adults looking over your shoulder? Or do you think you're going to be good on your own? And even the even the brightest 18 year olds wouldn't always answer that question correctly. So mm-hmm. sometimes these kids kind of think, nah, I'm good. I'm heading out on my own. And they end up couch surfing with some friends for a while and then and then end up on the streets mm-hmm. after that. Casey Stanley and Naomi Turlau are my guests, and they are at therealhopeproject.org, and you need to head over to the real, and we we spell that R-E-E-L, therealhopeproject.org. So, Naomi, are you primarily the, the videographer and storyteller? So, no, we have a videographer, okay. Dan Lucky. He's wonderful. Okay. Um, so he really captures the the kid, the youth in their element. Yeah. My job is really to help the kid feel comfortable in the space gotcha. and plan the event. The and then I get, and then I, oh, and then I get to interview the, the child. So I she's really the Bill them. Arnold of the Real Hope Project. <laughs> I, am, really? I get to do what you do. Yeah. So with the well, kids. you need your own theme song. Right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I've been asking yeah. for that. So. That's got to be in the budget. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I just feel so honored to be able to do what I do because I get just to be a small glimpse of this kid's story, right? And mm-hmm. each one of them has a story and I get to, mm-hmm. to be a part of that. And, and again, my whole goal whenever I meet these kids is how can I make them feel seen and celebrated for who they are Mm -hmm. and and you just see so often when we do these videos the kids come in a lot of times they're timid they're a little scared but we get them laughing we we have a fun event for them and by the end they're just opening up and you just Mm -hmm. see this totally new kid and it's so wonderful and like so rewarding Mm -hmm. um because you see you see the holy spirit working in that moment and Mm -hmm. and just you said something very important uh you they become uh noticed you notice mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Oh, is that important? Mm-hmm. Kids don't feel noticed. Yeah. They feel isolated. They feel bullied. They feel alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't know who cares about them or who loves them. Yeah. Yeah. So For sure. What a tremendous work you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And Naomi just does really, I just need to brag about her for a second, just a fantastic job. So, so often we'll have social workers who are like, okay, little Susie's coming to the video shoot. She's really shy. It's like, I'm really nervous about this. And Naomi just has like a warmth and like a giggliness and a joy that just like, <laughs> draws kids out and so we get to just see the funnest footage of Naomi just like teasing and laughing and playing and before you know it kids are just like just their their true self is kind of coming out and then yeah. we're able to get all that on film and then show that to families because when you're adopting from foster care oftentimes the first thing you learn about a kid is the really hard stuff lots of times social workers are wanting to weed out people who aren't serious about right. the process and so they'll kind of fill you in on here's all the trauma that Susie has been through here's all the ways that that manifests in her behaviors like it's scary stuff and then you're able to watch a a reel that reminds you oh Susie's like a little goofball and and she has a big heart and a smile and she deserves a family Mm -hmm. so if you're considering adopting a foster child and you go to the project and there's a hundred videos on the website Mm -hmm. I would imagine you look at all 100 (laughs) I can only imagine that's what you do. Yes, we do have people who email and say, I just watched every video on your website. (laughs) How can you not? Right? Yes. You don't watch five and go, "Ah, I think I got one. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Because it is a starting point. It is a starting point. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes like we have a story that that Naomi's actually working on right now, a woman who was in the process, kind of knew she wanted to adopt, saw this boy on our video on our website and just kind of knew he was he was the one and but hadn't gone through all of the licensing yet. And so in the months leading up to being able to adopt this boy, she would just watch his reel over and over and over again to like remind herself why she was doing this paperwork, why she was doing these trainings, why she was going through all this work. It was like for this boy. And so she just kept watching his reel to keep herself, Mm -hmm. keep herself moving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do do you have people that come to investigate 
the idea and you say to them at some point, you may not be the best candidate for this. That's a good question. We actually can't. We don't make a... Right. Evaluation. It's kind of nice because we, yes, we're a little bit sort of protected in all of the legal stuff. We've just... We really funnel people to the agencies. The yeah. agencies do all the they vetting, all the, the yeah. background yeah. checks, fingerprinting. They're the ones that are really like responsible for that. Um, and we just connect people to yeah. the agencies. So the agency must be thrilled with the Real Hope Project. We we do. Yeah, we have some good relationships with the agencies. Oh, you must. Yeah. 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 Because you are they're serving them. Mm-hmm. Yes. And helping uh, kids find homes. Yes. 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 And we do it free of charge. So we do all of our own fundraising through faith communities nice. um, and individual gifts and donors. And so we're able to give these to the counties and the agencies that represent the kids totally for free. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, Casey Stanley and Naomi Turlow have been my guests. And the project is called the real hope org, And it gives you a, a, a real understanding of what it would be like to uh, adopt a foster care child, and there's a good chance this child is going to be anywhere between the ages of 8 and 16. Mm-hmm. And what kind of time commitment might a person say I would be willing to make? So if the child is 10, do I think the next 8 years or do I think the next 12 years? Yeah, good question. The Just thought of that too. Adapting from... <laughs> Adopting from foster care really is forever. Okay, so sometimes good. we have people Thank who you. are like, yes. That makes sense. Yes, yes. it does. This but child I do think can it's be a, part of your family. Yes, yes. it's forever. Of course. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So when that kid is 25 and their car breaks down, you get the phone call. I yeah. get it. I for get Christmas it. and Easter forever, yeah. they're at your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Casey and Naomi, thank you so much for being here. Thank, thank you. you. Again, it's the realhopeproject.org. Go check it out. That wraps up our show for the day and for the week. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.